Welcome to the Sports and Torts Podcast, your go-to podcast for entertaining conversations on sports, law, and business. This podcast is powered by the J. Stein Law Firm, a personal injury law firm in Atlanta, Georgia. And now, here is your host, Joshua Stein. What's up, everybody? How are we doing today? Man, we've been having some fun lately here on this podcast, and the train will continue on down the tracks today. Joining us is mediation royalty. Greg Parent is in the house. He's a lawyer, as I mentioned, a top-notch mediator here in Atlanta with Miles Mediation, and a huge UNC Tar Heel fan wearing his Tar Heel quarter zip, wearing his Tar Heel colored Jordans. Uh, and you know, Greg, we planned this podcast for the week of March Madness about a month ago. Never thinking that UNC wouldn't actually make the tournament. So I'm going to have to give you some crap for that today. Uh, but listen, if you're in the, in the legal community, you know Greg, you love Greg, and you have likely taken multiple selfies with Greg. Uh, so look, man, I know you're super busy. Thank you for your time today. Welcome. How are we? I'm doing great, man. It, it is a wonder to be here. Uh, I'm, I'm very impressed with what you've done with this podcast. Uh, I saw a lot of the guests you've had. And I was hoping I'd get an invite. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of them. Uh, you do a really great job. So it's great to be here, man. I appreciate, I appreciate that. I was thinking about the, the, the folks that have been on this podcast before. I've had about 20 or so what I'd call trial lawyers, either plaintiff lawyers or defense lawyers. I bet you've mediated for every single one of them. Oh, I'm sure I have. Yeah. I'm sure I have. So it's just it's, it's a neat kind of full circle. Um, I know you've listed a bunch. So I, I appreciate that. But I mentioned the UNC gear, mentioned the Jordans. You're wearing all that today. Huge, huge Tar Heel fan. I mean, tough week, though. What happened? Tough week. I tell you, tough season. Uh, I was a little bit, well, I'm always optimistic. I mean, you can give me a bottle that has like two drops in it, and I think it's halfway overflowing. But I, I got to go to a few games in person, and we looked good. We looked like world beaters. And I always thought we were always in every game. And, and I run last year, you know, we captured lightning in a bottle. But we had sort of an up-and-down season until the end when we put it all together and had our run up until – you know, the last two minutes of the championship game where we fell short by three. So I thought we always had it, but this has just been a tough season for Tar Heels of every sort. So hug your Tar Heel friends this season. This spring, they're not all doing well, but we're going to be back. And, and, you know, you mentioned what I'm wearing. Uh, it's part by design, but it's part by necessity. All my quarter zips are Carolina. All my shoes are Jordans, and most of them have that blue colorway somewhere in there, just like your Georgia red. Yes, yes. So I'm wearing some Jordans as well as an homage uh, to, to you. Uh, mine are red, of course. I got my, my blue quarter zip on with my red, my red and black uh, stuff. It's amazing how, how our schools dominate our wardrobe, right? Oh, they do. My, my next-door neighbor is a Florida Gator fan. So my wife will think I'm crazy until she looks over at him, and he has a Gator van, a Gator golf cart, and between us we get every iteration of Nike Pegasus shoes with our school colors and a quarter zip. And if I see him get one, I immediately go look for the Carolina version. So I'm a little sick with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, can, can we still do some March Madness talk later on today? We can. Okay. I'll suck it up and be You know, the, the, the fans of sports and torts come here to make sure they get some March Madness talk the week of it. So we got to give them 10 minutes when we're done. I'll give it to you. Okay, very good. Well, look, uh, again, lawyers out there, they know you, no question. Those that don't, introduce yourself, family, background, all that kind of stuff. Well, I'm Greg Parent. I uh, hail from, I was born in Texas, born in uh, Bay City, Texas. Moved to Pampa, Texas, then uh, was living in Houston when my baby sister was born. Then my family moved to Gastonia, North Carolina. Uh, those of you might know uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte's the gateway to Gastonia. It's the only city of importance between here and D.C. if you're going up 85. But uh, went, went 
grew up in Gastonia, moved to Fayetteville, North Carolina, sort of from seventh grade to my junior year, through my junior year, and came back to Gastonia. So that's where I graduated from. Went to Chapel Hill, came home for a while, and then went to uh, Carolina again for law school. So I'm a double heel, you're a double dog. My family, I have a wife named Renee. She is a native Georgian, uh, one of the few native Atlantans uh, that you meet around. She grew up in Doraville and then in Lilburn. She's a Parkview person, so I know Parkview's produced folks like Jeff Francoeur. 1997, Walton Raiders versus Parkview Panthers state championship baseball. They got us. <laughs> they got us. <laughs> well, they're a powerhouse. I remember going by her school for the first time. The schools in Georgia are bigger than some of the ones in North Carolina. And they had those Clemson Tiger paws. It looked oh, like yeah. Clemson walking it's around like campus. campus. Yeah. yeah it's I couldn't believe how big it was. It was like, you went to school here in my street. My school was on a, on a street, you know, one building and, and a stadium behind it. Um, we have two beautiful kids, Jacob, who is uh, 17, and my daughter, Caitlin, who maybe by the time this gets produced will be 15. We were just talking about, about it earlier. We both have the blessing and curse of beautiful ninth grade daughters who are in high school. Very well put. Uh, as tall as their mothers, all of the mother's looks and none of our looks, although my, my daughter has the curse of looking like me, but she, she, she pulls it off. I think I'm, I'm a pretty good-looking little girl with long hair, but that's hey, my daughter. I like your looks, man. <laughs> We're in the safe space here. So is double heel a thing? I mean, is that what y'all call it? Yeah, we say double heel, double yep. tar heel. Um, I don't know if I said it that much before coming down here and meeting all the double dogs. Yeah, double dogs. We love it. You know, we can't say it enough. Better alliteration. Yeah, I guess so. That's exactly right. So um, why law? Like, what, what made you go this direction? You know, I was an adjuster for a while, and I got to see how the lawyers were regarded. Um, I was a state farm adjuster in Gastonia, North Carolina. Worked for a gentleman named Randy Hunter, and um, my direct report was uh, Sherry Gallagher. She had a law degree and was working as a claims manager. And I, I saw the law degree as a, an item on the utility belt, kind of like Batman's belt. And I, I saw the respect that attorneys were, were uh, garnered with. I saw that that degree kind of opened doors for them. And not to get too deep, but being an African-American, sometimes there are challenges presented to me that might not be presented to you. Sure. And I figured a, a law degree might help level the playing field. That's, that's sort of the stated reason. Part of the reason is I want to get back to Chapel Hill. And I wanted to kind of not grow up so quickly again. That was, that's my, my reason. It was like, uh, I could stay in Athens for three more years and get another degree. Okay, sign me up. Absolutely. And, and then come up with a law degree. I remember we, we've been meeting, meeting in case together for 10, 15 years. I, and this sticks out to me. I remember you saying, in the very first time I heard you in a mediation, you said, I have sat in every chair in this room. Claims adjuster, plaintiff's lawyer, defense lawyer, mediator. Um, I mean, that is, I think you're probably the only person that can say that. I think I'm the only one who can do all three. There are several folks like Wayne Wilson at, at Miles, uh, I think, was a claims adjuster. So he has that, but he never did plaintiff's work. Uh, I, I've, I've done all three. And what it really does, Josh, when, when you think about what it's like to be the plaintiff in a case, the civilian is what I call them, in any mediation, that person's coming in. And, and, and at best, it's an inconvenient day for them where their car got wrecked or they slipped and fell and they're, they're alive, and, but that was a bad day. Um, my more normal case is it's their worst day ever. Someone's lost a loved one, whether it's an elderly parent, whether it's a kid who's died tragically or a spouse or a, a loved one. So I get families on their worst day. What I wanna do when I talk with them is establish there's one person in this room that can talk with everyone. And it's not just some people person, I've been in these seats. And 
when I'm explaining that, especially for adjusters too, adjusters and civilians really appreciate that because adjusters sometimes get looked over. They are the first responders. I, I always uh, make the equivalency for adjusters. They are the the beat cop from Die Hard who's going to get the Twinkies at the beginning of the movie. Right. That guy was boots on the ground, knew what was going on, was talking to John McClane and, and had a handle on the situation. Um, and sometimes adjusters or attorneys, when they come in, they, they remind me of that supervisor, you know, blowhard guy who comes in, thinks he's knowing, he knows what's going on. And the beat cop, the adjuster knows better than better, them because yeah. they've been with the case longer. And, and let me set the stage. I did a poor job of doing that. I mean, you know, so a mediation, which lawyers are familiar with, those are non-lawyers are not quite as, as familiar. It's a, you know, the plaintiff, the injured person, his lawyer or her lawyer, the defendant who they're being sued, their lawyer. Um, and then the claims adjuster, the insurance company representative that frankly is making most of the decisions when it comes to money. And then you're the one that's kind of overseeing this whole process and trying to bring people to a conclusion so that the plaintiff resolves his case against the defendant. I kind of, I kind of very quickly got to the end where you have done all those jobs, right. you know, and so the perspective that you just gave is exactly the perspective you can give to people, which gains instant credibility and trust. It does. And when you watch a civilian person who's, who's there for the first time, I, and I try to use self-deprecation and humor to make them feel comfortable, um, but I'll acknowledge, hey, this is your first and I hope your last mediation. So I'm going to talk to you directly, and I, I sit as close as I can to him. In a post-COVID world, I don't get that close to him, and I'm never as close as a broadcaster in the booth where they're practically touching noses. But I do address them, and I talk to them. Mr. Stein, is it okay to call you Josh? Do you prefer Joshua? Josh is okay? Josh, let me talk to you. And I just, it's me and him. I kind of tune everyone else out, and I give them my full attention. I then explain each role, and then my nexus to them. So if, um, if it's your client, Josh, and she's a little bit nervous, I may say, listen, I've known this guy since he was a baby. He didn't have these gray hairs when I met him. He's gotten old. They're coming <laughs> fast and furious. These gray hairs keep popping. I don't know what to say. You have hair, Josh. Mm -hmm. For, on cold days like this chilly one where we're having to wear the quarter zips and after the spring of deception, you have hair. Take it. Uh, and the dis you know, It makes you look distinguished. But I, I will say things to sort of ground them and make them feel like they're on the same level with everyone else. And after I do that, I focus on the adjuster and show respect to the adjuster. And what I'm doing, I'm doing two things. One, to say I see you and I appreciate you and I respect you. But also, hey, everyone else, see this person and respect them. Because like you said, they are going to be the primary decision maker. They control the checkbook. And it blows my mind the number of folks sometimes who come in and disrespect adjusters. And I just... I don't say anything, but my inner monologue is like, okay, this is going to be a long day or an impasse because this person has offended the one person in the room you don't need you to offend. Yeah. I, I feel like like when I see people do that, and we all have, it's like, what are you thinking, man? Like, today's not the day to do that. Like, if you want to be a tough guy or a tough girl and you want to fight, like, I get it, but that's not what this process is about. And I think people lose sight of that sometimes. Like, the, 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 the Bravo or whatever it is, they can't just get rid of. Right. I agree with you. The, what... what, what what helps in mediation, I think the people we get to work with, the adjusters, the attorneys, incredible IQs, incredible intelligence, they can process things, they can think of creative ways to bring cases. What mediators have in abundance is EQ, the emotional intelligence to see people, to work with people, to have empathy and sympathy and compassion for folks and see beyond that. In a typical mediation, just to kind of further explain for the listeners who aren't attorneys, I'm provided with material. So, Josh, if you're on the plaintiff's side and we're working with someone on the defense, both of you may send me a paper, two to three pages, sometimes a few paragraphs, sometimes an email, just to give me the general sense of what's going on. 
tractor trailer, um, wrongful death case. That puts me in a space where I know where I'm going to be. One, I know it's going to be a serious day because someone's died. Two, big case. Three, if there are certain facts that I need to know, I'll go study up on those things. I'm getting so old, I've almost seen everything. You know, yeah, you know it now. Not, not to quote any particular insurance carrier, but uh, I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. <laughs> and so uh, I probably. You're the new pitch man. <laughs> I've seen every case at least since. Joe Murphy, my mentor over at Miles Mediation, or Miles ADR, as our new branding suggests, um, used to say, you know, I've seen almost everything at least once. Some things I've seen dozens to hundreds to thousands of times, but I've seen almost everything once. And for the times I haven't, I go study up on it to make sure I'm ready. But I come in armed with understanding the facts. So I'm free to start watching the interactions, the personalities, the human side. And I'm at an advantage over everyone anyway. I'm, I'm not smarter than you. I'm not a better attorney than you. But I am in both rooms, or all three rooms. Yesterday I had six rooms. I'm in all six rooms. So I'm always going to know more than any one room, one party. And that, coupled with my EQ, usually helps us get to or exhaust all possibilities towards resolution. So Edward Lindsay, who you know, who's my mentor and who I watch kind of do mediations and learn from mediation, he said that same thing. He said, you know, the, the mediator is in every room. He knows more than you do about how all this is going on. So listen to him or her. Like we're paying them to for their information, for their knowledge. They're not going to tell you something they can't tell you, but y'all pick up things and make perceptions and your goal, of course, is resolve the case. So I, I don't understand the people that like don't want to listen to the mediator. They're like, I know more. I can do better. Like it just it doesn't com- compute to me. It's funny you say that. I don't insist that they listen to me. I tell them uh, and I watch their body language. So if someone arms. comes in with their arms crossed, I don't say, hey, your arms are crossed. You must not be uh, picking up what I'm selling and stuff like that. But with almost everyone, I'll say, listen, and it's the last thing I say before I leave the room to go deliver the demand. I will say, I know you don't know me. You've met me now for 20 minutes and you don't know me from Adam. Hopefully your attorney said nice things about me because I told him to, but you don't know me. I said, I need to earn your respect in real time. So if, after I spent some time with them, so for example, if you were the plaintiff, I would say, Mr. Sign, you have a ninth grade daughter, I have a ninth grade daughter. I want you to regard me like those little teenage boys coming around your door trying to date your daughter. Treat me, give me side eye and and stand as tall as you can be, as intimidatingly as you can stand at the doorway until I earn your trust and until I earn your respect. And what I'm doing is giving them agency and ownership over the process. And I'm telling them, you don't have to take what we say. And and I also kind of set a bar, and it's a high bar, and I, I say, hey, I'm going to get over that, or I'm going to endeavor to mm-hmm. pull vault over it if I have to, or step over it if it's a low threshold, or high jump, like with the Fosbury flop. But I'm going to meet those expectations because I think it's important you know that this is your day. It's not my day. It's not about me. It's not about about my, about my ego. It's about you. And, and we need to have you process this in your own way, in your own time. And it's amazing when you give people choice and ownership over something. You just see them. I see them physically take their arms down, right. uh, unclutch a purse, like like take away the stance, sit back and relax a little bit. And it's it's something that, that happens routinely enough that I know that kind of statement works, but it's, it's always reading the room. I've done hundreds of mediation. You've done tens of thousands, but I still have the, I can't fight the feeling of getting mad at the mediator when the news isn't what I want it to be in terms of an offer. Right. Like I'm for some reason I feel the need to blame the mediator because this insurance company just sees it differently than me. Um, I don't I, I know that's wrong, you know, but I can't help myself. I, I remind the 
combatants. <laughs> no, I remind the parties that I don't control the money. I specifically tell them I have no control. I don't control the money. I don't control the offers. I control the flow of information. And again, I'm talking to your clients. So I'll say, um, Mrs. Thompson, is it okay to call you Jenny? Jenny, um, Josh knows I don't control the money or the offers or how they make them. But I promise you this, as soon as I get information, I'm going to tell Josh because he needs to know before noon if they're never getting to six figures, if they're never getting to seven figures, because this he believes this is a seven-figure case. If they're going to try and um, waste your time and offer $50,000, he'd rather me tell him at 11.30 and have this mediation end rather than sit on that till 5 o'clock. And so I'm, I'm reminding you, <laughs> Josh, you know I don't control this. Put your, put your arrow down. You're literally not, a, not allowed to throw slings and arrows at me. But Jenny, you need to know that I understand generally where he wants to go and where you need to be, and I'm going to sprint back here if I don't think they're getting here. To give you some perspective, I have done, I've gotten long in the tooth. You know, I've gone from, from a young, young man to like the middle age, older guy that, that people have seen, and, and I've been their mediator since they were baby lawyers. I used to get ulcers going from room to room like, oh, they don't have what Josh wants. What do I do? I can imagine. It, Flop sweat. I'm nervous for y'all lots of times. Now, now I present it, not in a dismissive matter of fact way, but these are the facts, Josh. They're here, they're looking at, this is the reasoning. So I try to get you the reasons why. One of the things I'll tell your clients, for example, I'll say, you know, Josh knows about 95% of what's going on there. And then I usually make it football. Kirby Smart knows about 95% of what Nick Saban's gonna do. It's, he needs to know if they're gonna, they're gonna put in a backup quarterback. <laughs> no, sorry, too soon. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. He needs Mr. to know. <laughs> he, <laughs> oh, they're shooting at the kneecaps today. That hurts. Hey, <laughs> back, back, I'm sensitive to backup back. quarterbacks. <laughs> uh, and then they made the Super Bowl with one of them, the Eagles. But um, I'll let them know the things I can't control and then remind them of what the process is about. And generally speaking, I'm not so much worried about you. I'm worried about taking things off of your plate for your client. So if, if we were physically, my words were physical manifestations of my body, I'm jumping in front of you like a bodyguard every other time I'm in the room. I'm saying, listen, these are the things Josh can't control. You unfortunately hit someone or someone who hits you is in a bad county. You know, If this were a different county, one county over, your case would have a whole, totally different posture. Um, if there's not a big corporate placard on the truck behind them, like she got hit by a neighbor, I'm like, oh, you got hit by someone with small limits. Yeah, and what I what I like is when you know we work together so much, and the mediators and lawyers know like those venue issues, those policy issues. It's if if you're echoing what I'm saying to my client, then it's like okay, it's not just Josh, it's not just a process. It's I'm now hearing this from a, a neutral person, and it is what it is, out of my control. One of the things in my opening, right before I tell them to. Um, hold me at arm's length until I earn their respect is I'll pause and say, now I've spent 15 minutes with you. Did I tell you anything that Josh hadn't? And they usually go, no. And I'm like, see, he steals my lines, one. But two, that's how you judge by what we're doing. If I echo what he says, it's like getting um, a benign diagnosis from a doctor, from a second doctor. The first doctor says benign and you're still nervous. You go to the second doctor and they say benign. You breathe easier and you go on about your life. I said, and I'll also tell your client, Jenny, if I say something that Josh hasn't said, I want you to put us on full blast and ask us to answer that question in front of you. I make a big deal about transparency. I, I compare myself either to a hibachi chef who cooks in front of you 
uh, or a Waffle House chef, depending on who's across from me. We get you one of those hats and I need the whole one of those hats. stuff. Oh, I now I know. Now I know. My birthday is Jacob, my my seventeen year old. He could. He's better than any hibachi chef I've seen. What he can do. We got one of those. Uh, what's that big grill? The I just lost the name of it. The big griddle. Yeah. The black. I know what you're talking about. But. You know what I'm talking about. It's not the green. We sold our green egg to get this. And he's like a magician out there. But I tell people that, or I'll compare myself to a short sleeve magician. I said, there'd be no tricks, nothing up my sleeves. I'll explain to you. And the other thing I'll say to them is, um, I'm like Deadpool or Ferris Bueller. I violate the fourth wall. I will literally look at you and tell you why I'm doing or recommending something. So I don't just say, here's the bracket I recommend. I'm like, I'll say to them, here's what. I don't think this is going to work, but I need to smoke them out, whether they're here to waste your time and never get to seven figures or whether we need to show them we'll go below 20 million <laughs> to take something in the seven figure range. Yeah. And, and with that, you know, in, in, in addition to the agreement on the issue of the case, usually the value of the case, the lawyers, the mediator, pretty, pretty damn close. Right. And so when you, when you, when I'm able to say, look, right, wrong or indifferent, like, it or don't like it, like this is the proper legal value based on da, 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 da. And then independent of me telling them that, you come and say the same range, it's that second opinion that's the same thing, right? Kind of like what you do in, in a court courtroom. You tell the jury, this is what I'm going to show you, this is what I think the evidence will show, then you show them, and then you tell them what they saw, right? Is that generally how you do it? As a mediator, I do the same thing. I will tell your client that Josh is going to go one way, I'm going to go the other. I, I've lately started comparing it to Waze. Josh is going to use Waze to go home, and I think Waze is superior, but I'm intentionally going to take Google Maps. Or he's going to take the highway, I'm intentionally going to take surface streets Good to go home. And, and, and I'm using common things that people, people know. can relate to. And um, what, what you find is, I, I tell them exactly what you said, but I, but I tell them to look for it. We're likely going to meet up and be within the same ballpark. And you probably heard me say this to your clients specifically. If you're higher than Josh's expectation, you're going to hear from two guys who between us, and I'll add up our years between us, between us we've got close to 50 years of doing this, you're going to need to lower your expectations because the ballpark is the ballpark. And if you've already had that difficult conversation and they hear it from me, that makes it easier. But what I'm doing there, and you know this, I'm literally jumping in front of you. I'm there to take their slings and arrows. I don't want your slings and arrows, but I'll jump and take theirs for you. So I try. I always try to prep my clients on the front end. Like, this is what I likely see, not only as our evaluation, but what the mediator thinks, and then more importantly, not more importantly, but ultimately what the defense is going to think. So there's no surprises. But some lawyers, I think, want you to be the bad guy, and you're the one that take all the shrapnel. Like, well, look, Greg's saying this. Like, I don't know. I don't think that's a good way to go about it, but I imagine that's going to be your role lots of times. There are two ways in which that happens. One, there's sort of a setup like you'll tell me in advance. I need you hey, to do the dirty work. I need you to go jump on that grenade, <laughs> right. and I'll jump on the grenade. I'll jump on the grenade anyway without you telling me that. There's a difference in the caliber of attorneys I see. I see you know, guys with a little bit of distinguished gray in their heads uh, who have their own firms in a brand-new office like you. Uh, they're folks who are fresh out who still have the tags on their suits. I, I treat you the same, and I, and I cover for you. But for a younger, newer attorney who might be wrong, you might hear me say something like, I'm sure Josh has already told you this, but let me just cover this basics, right. these basics for you. And I'll cover like the basic elements of recovery, the four factors, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a way. Or if they've said something that's wrong, obviously I can't call time out and go, are you an idiot, Josh? What, yeah. what are you telling them? Off that's the record a for a second. Yeah. Come on, Can we man. go off the record? Just <laughs> plug your ears, earmuffs, earmuffs. And, but what I might say is I'll, I'll interject and say it in a certain way. Sometimes people don't pick up on the subtlety. So I will then say, hey, before we get going, um, 
one of his classmates from law school is here. I need to go get him. And I'll say, I'll come out and go, hey, let's go see Andy. And you'll go, hey, where's Goldner? Where, where is he? I'm like, he's not here. Get your butt over you here. Talk. Are you okay? Like, have yeah. you forgotten what you learned in law school? What's right. going on? Right. You were saying the exact wrong thing. And, and you might, I mean, we all have bad days. You could be in your head about something. You could have had this case confused with another. Or because sometimes when you send me stuff, you forget what you've sent me, mm-hmm. and I, I regurgitate it, and I know I learn it and digest it, and I'll regurgitate it back to you. So I'll I'll clarify certain things, but I might have to pull some folks together. I've seen cases where people have just committed outright malpractice, and that's hard as a mediator because I don't really have any ability to go correct it or whatever. I have to remain neutral, and I can't go out someone. But I will pull attorneys back and say, "Listen, I think you're between a rock and a hard place here." What can we do to try and walk this back? And I try and give them every, every ethical, yeah, every avenue proper to do way it. to do certain yeah, things. Yeah, and not do it in front of their client. And say, no, let, them never, save, let them save face, make them look good. I'm never going to embarrass anyone um, on either side. And the other thing, sometimes, <laughs> this is funny, you may have it in for the other side, or they may have done, they may have conducted themselves in litigation in such a way that you're just waiting in the tall grass for them. And so there are times when people will say, you go tell that SOB in the other room that I hate her guts and whatever. And I'll, and I'll go over there and say, oh, he wasn't so happy. What's you know, yeah, 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 I, yeah. I, I euphemize it sure. as I need to. But yeah, I, there's an art to what we do in explaining things. And, and what's funny is when I've had people follow me, like fellow mediators, they'll say, wow, I didn't realize some of the subtle things you do. That, that you make look seamless. Correct. That, that's where the secret sauce, that's where the magic happens. So you mentioned Joe Murphy, your mentor, um, and Miles, of course. I remember when Miles was out of his truck or Explorer doing like progressive mediations when I first started there. And then, so walk, walk us through like how you got involved kind of early on the process and how mediation has kind of exploded along with, you know, kind of your career. Sure. Well, John Miles started Miles Mediation, and you're right. He had an Explorer out of Madison, Georgia, and he'd drive wherever you were. And he then went to a house. And we used to have this displayed in pictures. Mm-hmm. Then he moved to the King Building, King and Queen Building up in Dunwoody. Um, and then he, he switched floors and got out, bought out the whole side of the building. We recently moved at a special time in, right in history, COVID. right before COVID, to the terraces where we had we tripled our rooms. We Beautiful have, space, outdoor areas, happy hours set up, the whole thing. It's unbelievable. More, more than 55 rooms, and it really is palatial and nice. And this was February of 2020. We all know what happened. And I felt so bad for John. I'm sure there are parts of his body that were so tight they could create diamonds. But we jumped on our, our CEO, or C, um, chief financial officer, is Jake Miles, John's son. Jake was into and, and looking for Zoom before the pandemic happened. So when the pandemic happened, we immediately shifted to Zoom boot camp. I was so tired. We would have Zoom training. Parag Shaw, who is now the, the director of all things Miles and the face that you see, he trained every meteor up. And I remember on one of your podcasts, you were talking about that you're not the best at technology. Dana sometimes has to help you on technology. Right. They're old dogs at Miles, and, and, and I consider myself one of the old dogs, some who didn't have computers, some couldn't use computers. So you had folks who could pick it up and learn it just like that, and you had folks who had trouble turning on a computer. And Prague leveled us all up, trained us all up, and then we would train other people. So my days in the early days of the pandemic would be Zoom mediation and then three or four tutorials with other 
senior media, senior attorneys from other firms. I would have folks on and we'd do We'd have several of their attorneys. I would put them all in rooms, show them how I could pair them up. Things we take for granted well, now. Y'all did it seamless. I mean, like, I remember being very nervous the first time that I logged on for one of you guys' mediations. I'm like, how's this going to work? I didn't have to run anything. It's like, click the button. You're in these virtual breakout rooms. And you're together. And then it was it's, it's awesome, and it's still awesome. I mean, I always will prefer in person, and I come in person now. But I know that a lot of the insurance companies won't send their people anymore. And there's hybrids, all that kind of stuff. But, but you know, golf clap to y'all for making that a way to get cases moving during the pandemic because we were able to, to, to use the process. I was proud of what we did and appreciative of, of John, Jake, Prague. Um, Joe and I did presentations with different folks to kind of do things, and, and we got it going. So we have now the ADR on demand, which is all virtual. And um, I like being in person, too. I was in person back in April of 20, so... A month into the mediation or into the pandemic, I was back in person, but we would sit so far away. You've seen our biggest conference rooms. It'd be like a king and queen at one of those long tables. We weren't weren't shaking hands, weren't touching, weren't getting in each other's spaces, but still trying to do it. Such wild times. I mean, have you felt like um, the the I think I know the answer to this, but but using virtual mediations versus in person, the success rate, the ability to do, conduct business is pretty similar. I want to say this without uh, sounding like a humble brag, but. We like humble brags. On I know, show. I know, I know the humble brag. <laughs> uh, I think I translate well on either medium. So if you mediate with me on Zoom and we're talking about things, I might reach over and grab a Carolina helmet. Like if one of the attorneys went to Duke, I'll say, Duke, hold a second, and I'll go off screen and I'll come back and I have like my Carolina helmet on. I'm like, we can conduct the rest of the mediation like, this way. This way. Uh, yeah. There's someone in there, an Eagles fan. I get my Dallas Cowboys helmet. So awesome. And, and I, I'll, I'll mess with them. I can't tell you the number of times that people have brought their pets in. Sometimes you know the blur feature, but you'll see like a ghost like walking behind them. Like, is ma'am, you either need to get out of the house <laughs> or you've got a cat and or a little fluffy needs to go to yeah, the bathroom. There's, but there, you know, some lady the other day brought her cats and she called them a cats, but I, I promise you that was a feral jungle cat. She was basically holding like a lynx, <laughs> and, I, and I said, ma'am, that's not a cat. You need to, you, you've got a wildcat or a bobcat there, but. The, the other part about it is when kids run in, it allows you to be human. You know, in a mediation, some like the in-person because it is intimidating. It sets, there, there's sort of an intimidation for the civilian or your, your client, um, the, the injured party. And it's not intimidated, it's not meant to be intimidating, but it can be intimidating. Everyone's in suits, you're in a tailored suit. I get a tailored one for my body. Um, everyone's formal and, and it seems like high stakes. When you're at home and comfortable, I find people relax. You might hear a crying kid. I'm like, well, who's that? We'll bring them over here. I brought my kids in. My kids have come home from school and I'm still mediating. I'm like, come in here. And if, um, especially with my daughter, my son's too cool for school, but my daughter will come in. And if I see a strong um, female attorney that I've worked with in the past, I'll come in and say, now, sweetie, this lady's a badass. You need to meet this lady. And, and she'll kind of pop in. And I'm trying to show my daughter the heroes I work with every day. And, but I'm also humanizing myself. Listen, I have kids too. I'm in my living room. I'm talking, I'm stopping because the UPS driver is trying to get me to go sign something. And when you can demystify mediation a lot, I think it, it's helpful. So there's benefits both ways. Yeah, I hear you. All right, so in terms of humble brags, and be honest, if mediation starts at 10 o'clock, at what time do you know, A, the, the number the case should settle for, and B, the number the case will settle for? How quickly are you figuring that out? I'm figuring it out fairly quickly. Pretty quick. But it, but it, as I explained to the parties, it's not 
rocket science so much, just like what you and I know, you know the case value when you come in, and you have an aspirational value. So you know what it probably should settle, and then you have your aspirational qualifier on top. I generally have a sense of where you want to be, but I also have a sense of where they're going. Now, those don't always match up. Sometimes they do. What, what, what helps me in that regard, I will start doing my own anchoring with my suggestions. So let me give you away my best secret. If I ever give you a suggested bracket, I'm talking to you very clearly sure. on what I think can happen. And that's no surprise to you. You're seasoned. Some folks are surprised, like, wow, that first bracket worked. I'm like, huh, magic. <laughs> or How did that happen? <laughs> or what I'll do, and, and I don't do this to be a shtick, but sometimes I will say to the attorney, like, I'm going to write down where you want to be or write down your bracket. And I'll write down and keep it folded. And I'll hold it in my pocket, and then later we get there, and I'll show them that I was right within the range. But I set that up earlier with the client by saying, Josh is going to take Waze, I'm going to take Apple Maps or Google Maps, and we're going to be very close to one another. It's so interesting because I, I agree. I think that within the first look, I mean, you before you walk in the room, you probably know. Uh, but the process has to play out the way it does. Like there, There's a reason why it takes five hours or six hours or two or ten or whatever because all the parties have to go through it to get there. They have to take ways, get the red lights, get, you know, their, their route changed a couple different ways to arrive where they need to be. And it's, it's kind of a, a, a beautiful process to watch. It is. And for those who do it all the time, you will understand and know when I'm anchoring on something, when I'm uh, trying to do a seismic shift in expectations, when I'm sharing sort of like a, a smoking gun that's going to limit their abilities. And each time, like I said, I, I'm standing in front of you to deliver the news, but also talking to you to make sure you see this for what it is. When they have surveillance of your client that turns their case with a woe is me on its ear, I want to make sure you you saw the surveillance, right? And you'll, you know how to talk to me in a way where you do like a crestfallen look. I'm like, okay, he gets it. He gets it. Other people will go, no, I'm not worried about that. Yeah, whatever, be fine. Let's go see Andy Goldner out in the hall. And I'll <laughs> right, pull you out right, and I'll say, right. let me show you why this is bad. Why this you. is a big deal. And your client doesn't understand why it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, other hard-hitting question. You guys have great spreads for lunch every day. How are you eating lunch every day? Bounce between rooms. You have to enjoy your lunch. I feel bad for you. I'm like, let, let my man enjoy his chicken parmesan today. I used to want to eat in both rooms, and I would I would have a plate, and your room might see a full plate. The second room might see a half plate. And then I'd get back to you with a quarter plate. Uh, other times, if the mediation has three co-defendants, and they're all kind of talking, I might spend time with you. I, I take my cues on what your client needs. So all things being equal, I will spend more time with the plaintiff because again, they're the civilian, they're the rookie in this, and they may need, they may need more kumbaya hand-holding, for lack of a better phrase. Typically, nowadays, I'm, I'm eating in just rounds. I'll go chow down on a salad while you've kicked me out of the room to talk. I'll come back, wipe in my mouth, go talk to the other side. They kick me out, I'll get the chicken parmesan. Yeah. Um, I try to stay away from the cookies hard, and the snacks. It's hard to do that. You guys have a good spread. I always just feel bad. I'm like, I want my man to eat. Like, I don't mind if you take 20 minutes and, you know. But but it is. A, it's interesting to hear you say that there's some strategy potentially between eating part of it in each room so everybody feels kind everyone of Everyone feels of that, like we've eaten. That meal process, yeah. Some, some you know, the defense, and this is no secret, um, sometimes you bring other work. If it's going to be a long day and you're in the catbird seat where – two or three co-defendants are fighting it out. You know I'm not coming to you for situations because you're you're kind of sitting back going, it's one of those three. They can point fingers all day. I'm patient. And you've either brought other work, 
uh, or you're making calls and following up on other cases. The defense may also be doing that. So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of get a feel for where it's going. Probably much to John Miles' chagrin and my wife's chagrin, I move fairly quickly in mediations. I don't dawdle, I don't waste time, and I try to let your client or you or the parties know where I am all the time. So if you kick me out and it's gonna be a protracted uh, caucus or private session with your client, I go to the other rooms and fill them in on what I've done. So I'm not really dawdling. Um, occasionally there's some dead time where I'm just between your room and their room, there's nothing to do, and I can go eat then, I can do whatever. But I'm, I'm always trying to account for my time and give you quicker ways. So I'll, I'll tell their clients at the beginning, I don't have slow, medium, fast. I have fast, faster, and Audubon. And mediation still go about the same time, but again, that, that ownership of the process, when I've given you the HOV lane, the fast lane, and a highway, all three pretty fast, if we need to go slower or even pull off to a side road, we can, but the client will never say, well, that mediator seems to jack his jaws and waste time. Like, no, ma'am, I gave you a bracket idea. I gave you the range of a bracket idea with the third move. I gave you the suggested next move, and I gave you a way to kind of cut to the chase. Got it. And now you're doing arbitrations, too. Do arbitrations as well. For those that don't understand, explain the difference, what your role is there versus mediation. As a mediator, I am the assistant coach. Coach Stein is going to make the final call, but I will vociferously and, and passionately establish my position. I'm not just a, a yes man or a um, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest Josh of them all. I don't do that. Mm-hmm. I will say, like if you say, listen, we want to run this play, um, we want to do a, a quarterback draw for Stetson, I'm like, look, Stetson's great. He, he's proven it. Let's not do that because um, Stetson hasn't been getting any yards. They've been sniffing that out every time. He's negative yards. Oh, it's a winning play. He's a two-time champion. I'm like, Josh, I get it. I know who he is. I recruited him. Let's run this play. And I'll let it get awkward between us in front of your client, but not not professionally awkward. Just see that I'm going to hold my point. But I'll always defer, and I'll say that. Coach Stein gets the final call. As an arbitrator, I make the call. <clears throat> I'm like a judge. Both sides, instead of being interactive going forward, you both present to me. I get all the facts, and I digest them. For um, cost purposes for streamlining of litigation processes. It's a lot quicker. It's a lot more efficient. You take out all the emotional swings. Like, you know, I'm not going to be overswayed. I'm not going to be um, overly moved by gross medical or anything like that. Uh, I'm going to know the law. I'm going to apply the right law. I'm not going to apply the wrong things. So there are some cases where there's arbitration clauses that force parties to come to that um, as opposed to a trial. But there's others where for reasons that you just mentioned, that's a, a decision that the parties come to, right? And so it could be a personal injury case, and they wanted you, and is it a panel? Is it just you? How does it set up in terms of who they're presenting it to? Um, they, you can have a single arbitrator. You can have a panel. And I recently did one with Rusty Grant from our office, uh, a two-person arbitration, a two-arbitration panel. And my first thought was, this is the craziest, craziest idea I've ever heard. There's no tiebreaker. But what it did, Josh, it forced us to talk with each other and each sort of play, um, I call it scout team quarterback, but each do the pros and cons and work with each other. And we didn't just split the baby and compromise. We had negotiations, and I thought we came to a good resolution. It's the same as a three-person. With a three-person, someone can kind of you know, draw a line in the sand and just stay there and not move. I find for the defendant. And... The other side, well, I find for the, uh, the planner. And then it forces someone to kind of break that tie. A two-person one is a little bit cheaper. Obviously, you're not paying for another uh, arbitrator. 
and it, it does give you some creativity. Arbitration used to be, I think, a big pompous deal like trial and everything like that. You can still do it in a streamlined, efficient manner uh, because it takes out a lot of the the screwiness. We don't, yeah, we don't I, need all the pomp and circumstance. Right. I, I was, and without getting too much in the weeds, I mean, the way that you've seen them, for, we'll focus just on personal injury cases. I mean, is it, you know, plaintiff calls his witnesses, puts forward his evidence, puts forward his documents, places doctor's depositions, whatever, cross-examinations, and then very similar to a trial, how then the defense does their thing. As the arbitrator, are you asking questions? Are you inserting yourself into some of the examinations? I don't really ask questions unless there's something specific I didn't quite get or need to need some clarification on. Generally speaking, because of the materials presented to me before the hearing, I've gotten my head around it. I feel that's my job. And, and you talk about someone who does that really well. Two people uh, with us, Rex Smith, Susan Forsling, they'll digest like the L.A. County phone book of information. People seen, send them boxes and materials, and, and we all have to digest it and know it. Otherwise, you're not going to use this. There's nothing more embarrassing for you to say something or reference something that you've sent me, and I didn't catch it or see it. So I'm hypervigilant on never being in that position. Um, so we're typically not asking that many questions, but we can later ask for clarifications on things. But it, it is more of a seamless thing, like I said, without the pomp and circumstance of trial, without some of the distractions, I can take certain things on judicial notice. Like, they'll try and go through a whole bunch of rigmarole to get something no, I'm good. I'm, and good. I'm, like, I'm good, I'm good. I got it. I understand how a traffic light works. I get right, it. Right, right, yeah. right. So the rules of evidence, you can kind of not be as, you know, tied into them, understanding that everybody knows what should and should not be admitted. And then, you know, once the case is concluded, closing arguments presented to you, and then it's like, okay, we're going to take this and take our... I mean, is it a day, a week? Does it depend on the circumstances of the case and what the result? I will say this. This goes back to maybe my first years as a meteor. I agonize over the decisions because I want to make sure I've thought about it thoroughly from every which way. Um, for arbitrators and mediators, I think a lot of people just think we kind of split the baby. And I never split the baby. I never do things. In fact, sometimes people ask me for like a mediator's number. And I'll say, be careful what you ask for. You don't know what I'm going to say. Because I think there's a belief like, we're well, going to split or you're going to be on our side. Right. And I'll say, you don't know what I'm going to say or yeah. put. Um, I have had mediation arbitrations where I have zeroed out a family who's lost a loved one because the evidence wasn't there. My heart goes out to you. My compassion goes out to you. But this facility did not cause your loved one's death. And that's hard. You want to agonize over that. You want to be thoughtful in how you do it. But you have to make the right call. And usually, uh, sometimes it's a few days. Sometimes it's a week. The right call sort of makes its way and the light shines through the cloudy day and you get the right call. It's also a call you need to be able to defend to both sides. So if you may come in a little bit hot. And people have been hot. I've had people not use me again because of an arbitration ruling. I've had people a little bit surprised. Uh, one of my favorite stories with an arbitration was when they came in with a high-low. They didn't tell me, but they basically had a high-low and they wanted me to sort of pick it. And the defense said, well, we were really surprised that you went that way. And I gave them my reasons. Mm -hmm. And, and <clears throat> they didn't like it, but they respected it. And they ended up getting it done. And they used me as sort of a, when they were reporting, to say, look, we had an, a neutral person kind of look at it. This is how they saw it. Saw it yeah. We respect him. And, and it got to a deal. So Well, I, um, if I'm being honest, I have not gone the arbitration route yet. But I'm interested in, especially with the backlog of getting to trial, it seems like a very good option if, if all, all the sides can agree. So again, golf clap to you guys for being being on the forefront of that. Um, 
sports and torts. Got to switch to some sports stuff. I mean, we could talk the mediation and loss of all day long, but I uh, want to carve out some time for sports because you're a huge sports guy. Uh, Hawk season ticket holder on the floor. I see on social media you're down there having fun. Been doing that for years, right? I've been doing it for years. I'll tell you the story behind that. Years ago when Harrison Barnes, a Tar Heel player, was on the um, Golden State Warriors team, it was the year they went and set the NBA record on wins, like 72-9 and nine or whatever. They beat Jordan's Bulls. And Prague had tickets. He had floor seats. And I and he said, you know, pick a game. Anytime we'll do a game. And I said, well, can I go to the Harrison Barnes game? I didn't say the Steph Curry game. I didn't say the Warriors <laughs> game. And this might have been in November, and this was like a February game. And so the week before, I, I went up to him and said, dude, I kind of snowballed you. I asked for the Warriors game. And if you know Prague, Prague's a man of his word. He's he's instant energy. And he said, dude, I don't care. You're going with me. You're going with me. Prague's seats were mid-court, fourth row, on the floor. And I sat three seats behind Usher. Not on Usher. Ursha. 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 Um, Randy Kessler, who is the czar of the Hawks, was there. And we took pictures on the court. And when you're sitting down there, you've been down there. Goldberg seats or other people's seats before and you look around and I just told him I said I'm never going back up there I just I'm never going up yeah, there once again. you taste that it's hard to go back I just said I'll never go back up in those seats and I got season tickets the next year and my first year I loved it they, they didn't have the the courtside experience that you know now mm-hmm. there was a, a hawk's nest thing behind the stadium so you, you couldn't see onto the court and I didn't really leave my seat I'd go there early and drink and hang out and I'd go to my seat and sit there watch the game yeah now, uh, and this happened last night, I brought a friend of mine, she had just made partner at her firm, and I said, you need to meet me at 6.10, because the doors open at 6.15, and as you know, I like getting there early, I get a, walk around the court, like I own the place, uh, I dap it up well, with all the- you do at this point. <laughs> I, I think I'm the mayor there. Yeah. I do think I'm the yeah. mayor. Uh, one funny story, uh, what I really like to do is go see the former Tar Heels who are playing. There, there are fewer and fewer of us there in the league now, but. Uh, there's a Tar Heel playing some of the ones from like the 09 championship or the 17 championship or the uh, 05 championship when they're still in the league. I'll wear my Carolina gear and I'm like, hey, Tar Heel, hey, Tar Heel. And after they're warming up, they'll come take a picture with me. And that, that makes my that day. Makes it, yeah, I, that makes it. I, I love my Hawks players. Yeah, that makes well, you were day. so kind to invite me the last couple of days ago. And unfortunately, I couldn't I couldn't do it. But we will get you again. But I appreciate that invite very much. And um, you got the selfie pictures you're taking. I mean, your selfie game is on point, man. T- t- walk me through like the perfect selfie Process, you know what, you, what you're doing. Well, I'm a photographer. I love I love photography. It's my uh, avocation, my my hobby, and I invest in a, a lot of expensive stuff. When I tell my wife, "Hey, I got the same camera lens that so and so got," like our next door neighbor who's a professional, and I'll say, "Look, I have one just like her." And she looks at me. And she's like, "She's a professional. She makes money doing this." Yeah. Like I heard you and Dana talking about, like the podcast does not generate money. <laughs> right. Right. It it's is got a hobby. zero dollars. It's yeah. a hobby. Well, I'm a hobbyist. What I've learned, and it's really for myself, I'm not as fit as you, so I know my good angles. Okay. You know, people say okay. they know a good side, but when I throw up my arm and hold the camera the right way, um, my best compliment is when the wives or the ladies in the group are like, wow, he takes a good picture. Because I go picture. high Let and the right it. angle. And now it's just become a thing. So like you say, you were joking earlier, who's not in a selfie with me? I like selfies for, for a couple of reasons. You know. I'm at the age now, and you're at the age where we've lost friends. Right. We've lost friends to cancer, to COVID, to life, to accidents, and you know when they're gone, they're gone. And and you know by the time our kids were two years old, there were probably more pictures of them than there are of you and me right. in our entire lifetimes. Just right. the, the medium's changed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So I like a good selfie. I like commemorating things, and then I like post them to Facebook so I get the reminder. Yeah, that's you know, it too. This this year or this day that, last that is year. That's an four underrated years ago. feature of Facebook that the reminder pops up um, after that year. Like, oh yeah, that was great. That was so cool. And you don't you look back and I'll send the pictures again. I'm like, that's only four years ago. That seems yeah. like yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like ten years ago. Yeah. Uh, so I love been it. Into photography. I mean, you got the gear. You got the kid cameras. I am, and I'll tell you, I'm living my best life right now because I. Um, I'm always the dad on the sideline with what looks like a sniper rifle telescope. Moms and dads are out there with their little iPhone, and I put my camera kind of near them, and I can turn it and make it the shutter sound loud, and it, yeah, exactly. Sounds like the, those little sprinklers. So I, need, I need to hire you to come to my son's baseball games then. We actually have a parent on the team, Stacey DiMartini, if you're listening, shout out, who does that. And it's, the pictures on Monday morning are awesome. I'm like that with soccer. I envy baseball, honestly, because I can set up a static shot and get the picture mm-hmm. in every in every uh, shot. You know where the ball is going. You can get the hitter. They don't move. Soccer is so They're hard, especially the older they've gotten. It used to be like a herd of cats following the ball, so it was kind of easy to shoot. Now my daughters and sons' teams, they move that ball down like Atlanta United. So fast. And you have to find it. And sometimes I don't get the shot. I'm also a fan. So I'm half cheering, like, did you get the shot? No, I'm watching no, the watch goal. The I'm yeah, experiencing the, the moment. Yeah. But yeah. I, I do get good pictures, and my my joy is to edit them and send them out. So good. And then the parents love me because I think I'm the first real photographer they've had. And they come to me, the mom's coming to me, the dad's coming to me, and they know who I am. The best compliment I got, though, was this. My daughter's a ninth grader, and she's getting to play on the JV team and the varsity team. Uh-huh. And she's told me that the senior girls, the cool girls, came up to her and said, hey, is your dad going to be at the game? Yeah. Hey, that's street cred. Uh, we need some pictures. That's street cred. Well, I'm helping her street cred, and, and it's nice for me. It, it, it is a good joy. What I like about photography, though, Josh, on a, on a kind of serious note, I see good in people. I see things I don't think other people see. Mm-hmm. And because of my unique access and because I'm the, the apex extrovert, I don't know how much people think I see or whatever. They just think I'm like Mr. Party Guy. But yeah. when I get that camera in, and I've got lenses, like I said, that look like telescopes. You've seen maybe my moon shots. Yeah, well, I saw you walking with a bag. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, I, brought a, I brought an 85 Prime 1.2. So any photographers out there know that's a beautiful <laughs> lens. But I can stand back mm-hmm. and capture moments that you're not looking at me or the camera. It's not voyeuristic, but right. I am able to witness things. And, and the best that I like is when you get a, a teenage kid who are my kids' friends or um, I did my swim team. I took pictures, and I got this compliment from one of the moms. They said, you know, you got to give it up to Greg Parent who took pictures of women in their 40s and 50s in bathing suits, and we liked it. And we liked it. And we liked it, yeah. And so yeah. um, if I can get you in a good picture, if I can get you, like, having a moment with your kid, uh, if I can get, like, the little brother who's coming to watch his sister's game while the action's classic. there – and then I watch and study all photographers. If you see me at a Hawks game, I'll talk to all my friends, I'll talk to the players, I'll talk to everyone else, but I know every photographer in there. I know the cameraman, yeah. I know the photographers, I look at their gear, yeah. and then I study what happens. So one of my favorite photographers is the photographer of the Tar Heels, a young woman named Maggie Hobson. She will get the action, and then she'll get the reaction. So you'll find me. I'll try and get the goal, and immediately I get the Gotta be celebration quick. after. Gotta be quick. Uh, your head's on a swivel. Yeah. But... I like to tell the full story. So if my last post, and, and for the Maynard Jackson, shout out to the Maynard Jackson Jaguars, MJJ all day, I did a story of what it was like to be there. And I call it Friday Night Lights, mm-hmm. not, not the football one, obviously, yeah. but for soccer. And I'll get the concessionaires. I'll get the lighting. Mm-hmm. I'll get our crowd. 
I'll get, there's one dad on the team who always wants his picture with all the, the pretty moms. So I'll get a picture of them. I'll get the players. I'll get the coach talking to the players. I'll get the huddle. I'll get some action. I'll get some reactions. And I'll get like the goalies and what they do. So I try and tell a complete story. So if you're not there, you can you go to my Facebook pictures. page and go, how did, how did, and how did my and little kid And do? it's there forever. And your kids, I mean, I look back at things I've done. I'm like, I wish I had pictures of all that. But your, your kids will and you will. That, that's awesome. All right, UNC. I want, to, I want to talk some positive stuff first. I mean, y'all's history is great. Six national titles, third most in seven. history. Seven. Okay. Six NCAA, seven. Ah, count the thank you. 1924 thank you. undefeated um, team. And I, I mean, you know, my cousin went to UNC, played baseball there in 1980-something. And so I always had, like, an affinity for no other reason other than that. So I do like Carolina basketball. I think a lot of people do. It's a brand that – People relate to Michael Jordan. No one likes Duke. So, like, people like North Carolina. So, I knew I'd like this podcast. Um, I love playing to the, to the guests. But all that is true. Um, and y'all have won three or four titles in, you know, 20, 20 something years. That's a great run. So, this is a stat that will surprise most, but Carolina has been in three of the last six national championship final games. So, three of the six. We've lost to Villanova, then we won it, and then we uh, lost to Kansas last year. Do you have so, any favorite title teams, favorite title moments, stories? I do. So I'll tell you about my favorite Carolina team. My favorite Carolina team is the 1993 National Championship team. I graduated in 92. I was friends with um, some of the players there. My favorite all-time player is a guy named George Lynch, who is like a – Number 34? No, this is why I love you, baby. This is why I love you, baby. <clears throat> so we have a personalized license plate. When I first moved down to Atlanta, I was part of the Atlanta Carolina Club. I was a co-chair with Barry Burt, who's a 78 grad and a lawyer. In fact, he was a Georgia guy, and his license plate said Tardog, D-A-W-G. Oh, okay, cool. So he, he licensed that. And then another attorney uh, named Ashley Snow, who is a solicitor up in, I believe, Cherokee County. We, we kind of ran the club from, like, 1999 through 2007 when we started having kids, and I realized I'm too old for this. I was still doing emails, and people were using Facebook. Right, like, right. I, I, I've aged out. Um, we worked so long to get license plates here, Carolina license plates. You know, the legislature didn't want Florida plates, so they mm -hmm. kind of put a kibosh on most people. But we finally got them years later after um, the, the successor club leaders got it. I think I was the first one to pick mine up. And because I'd been a club leader, um, Georgia allowed us to have 100 UNC. So I had the logo, mm -hmm. then UNC, and then the number one that we could pick. Two, two digits. I picked 34, which is George Lynch's. I, I didn't mean to steal the thunder on that, but I can visualize George Lynch. That's my guy. The jer that's that's awesome. my guy. That's your, that's your guy. So flash forward to now, George and I are friends. I just saw a post. His son and daughter just won state championships um, where they live. And he said, you know, three state champions. And I said, uh, you have another kid who won one? He's like, me, I won one. I'm like, hey, man, I'm not talking old history here. You know, let the kids have their moment. Right. But we, we are friends. Um, the 93 team just celebrated their 30-year anniversary this season, and I got to go up. It was We played NC State, and then afterwards they had a celebration. And kind of see those guys, some of whom uh, live down here and are friends. Kevin Salvadori is a guy that we hang out with. We go to dinner. We go to games and watch games together. Um, Lynch and those guys. Uh, Pat Sullivan's a current coach. So it was just really cool to see them. Um, my, my best Carolina experience, though, might be this past year. Uh, Dave Hanners is one of the old uh, assistant coaches and played for Carolina. He scooped me up. We drove down to New Orleans, mm -hmm. and I got to sit with him in the Carolina section. If I read the names, you would know every player that was around me, from Tyler Hansbrough 
uh, Antoine Jameson. I was in the same row with Jerry Stackhouse, Hubert Davis's dad. Hubert and I were the same class here. We didn't know each other. I knew who he was. He didn't know me. Right. <laughs> uh, I know who Hubert, Hubert was. Let's here and ask him. Yeah, we'll ask Hubert, him. you want to come in? Yeah. I'll ask his. Uh, I'll ask his, his right hand woman, Becca. But I got to be part of that and had unique access. And you know, only the Jedi know what it's like to send Mike Shashevsky home. Not only in his last home game in Cameron, in but four. in the Final Four. Amazing. Only the Jedi beating Garth. Have you been Vader. to Cameron Indoor? I have. Uh, not for a game. When I was there, you know, I, I'm the same year as Hubert Davis and he who shall not be named Voldemort, Christian Leitner, mm-hmm. both, all three, 92, um, for the 1991 championship game. Uh, that was another, people don't remember this, that was the final four with Duke on one side and Carolina on another side. Uh, we lost to Kansas, Roy Williams was coaching then, and um, Duke beat Kansas. I have good friends who went to Duke, and that's the unique nature about Carolina and Duke. We hate each other, but we were all intermingled. Many of my friends went to Duke undergrad, Carolina Law. Um, they married people from Durham. I think people lose sight of how close the two schools are to each other. Eight miles. Eight miles. Eight miles. Which is just, to think it's mind-blowing to, to consider that. And as much as, uh, I probably shouldn't say this because this will live forever and this will ruin all my street cred, but as much as I hate Duke, Duke people are some of the best people in the world. I had two of them. Um, we, all went, we all grew up together from seventh grade on, and they were groomsmen. Um, but I went to go watch the game, that final game, in Cameron. What I had underneath, though, probably would have gotten me killed because I had a big old Carolina shirt. If Kansas had held on and Roy Williams had gotten his first title then in 91, I probably would have been killed because I would have let everyone in there know and I would just run around hooting and hollering until they killed me. But Well, what is the typical Greg Parent viewing setup for insert big North Carolina game? Um, if I'm in town and, and COVID really put a kibosh on like getting together, we used to always get together at the Hudson Grill. We did that a couple times for the big Duke games this year. Um, I like to watch them either with other Carolina people or by myself because I'm kind of crazy. What's funny is when people say, hey, you want to watch the game together? I'm like, no. No. <laughs> I, I, I have carefully curated a, a perception to me that most people think is positive, and I'm crazy during a game. I, yeah. I, you know, I have a shirt that says, I apologize for the things that, that I said when I was trying to dock the boat. I need one that says, I apologize for the words that came out of my mouth during the Duke Carolina game. Yeah. I'm not rational. I know that about me. But it's less I'm not rational. I just... I don't want to answer silly questions like, what's that mean? I'm like, oh, I'm trying to focus here. I can't explain traveling to you. I can't explain, you know, why that's a bad call because his feet were planted outside the circle and, oh, that's a flop. You know, I I just want to watch the game. Um, And then I'm somewhat superstitious, not so much on the clothing items or things, but if if I'm watching a game and I move upstairs to a TV and I'm doing laundry and we start a run, I'm going to stay in that room. So I watched the... um, the Carolina game, Mike Krzyzewski's last home game. And I end up in my bedroom watching it. I got a call from my neighbors. They're like, are you okay? We hear screaming. And I'm like, it's all good. It's like, we're we're, yeah, we're, oh my. You know, I mean, you can't, you, can't, you can't write that storybook ending as a Carolina fan. And let me say this, because you'll appreciate this. Uh, my family had gone down to the lake, and um, I knew I had to watch the game by myself. But as it was over, I made my way down to the lake. But I stopped in at the liquor store. And they had a bottle of Pappy in there. And um, I said, you know what? It's stupid to pay this amount for that bottle. 
but I'm never going to have this moment. And I grabbed it. And Good for you. We had our friends down there, and I poured everyone a shot. That's perfect. And we toasted to my Tar Heels. With that's the, perfect. You know, when else were you going to do it? I mean, that's, that's why you buy that kind of stuff. Weddings and, you know, those kind of events. So, um, very good, very good. Well, we're going to have to talk a little bit of this March Madness bracket. I mean, I was prepared. Oh. I was prepared in honor of you to have North Carolina go into the Final Four, regardless of the seed that they got. Um, my first question, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but what kind of grace does Hubert Davis and the university get to, like, to like have a down season or two? Because as a Georgia fan, you may have heard we just won two straight national titles. I've not heard that. And so I feel like if Georgia has two bad seasons, I'm like, well, we're good. We got it. But I, but I know as a fan, you want more. So what kind of grace does, does Carolina get? Well, I am, I am um, Carolina's biggest fan. I'm also their biggest defender. So I'm not always the best to talk to you about. I'll say this. Last year after the championship game and after the Final Four run, Carolina had its inaugural fantasy camp. So you talk about something fun, like old guys getting the royal treatment. We got gear. We got Jordan shoes. We had access. I got to have a special dinner where me and like six other guys got to hang out with the team. I got my pictures with every player, even the then new guy, Pete Nance. Got to meet all the coaches, some of whom I know and remember. Some it was just good to chop it up with. Um, and then because of that, I got to go to games and see these guys. So I'm, I'm a little bit closer to the action. I say that not as a humble brag or a name dropping. It just it, my perception changes because I know these guys, and they're all good guys. My kids used to do a camp with Eric Montross. Do you remember Eric Montross oh, yeah. from the '93 team? Oh, yeah. He runs a camp for the that raises money for the UNC hospitals. It's the best thing in the world. I don't know if Georgia has an equivalent thing, but from the time they were seven until they aged out around 12 or 13. We got to go to camp together, and it's the only dads we could have as many kids as you have. So my son and daughter, for three years, were both there with me, and we're running drills on courts. My daughter setting picks on guys who were in the national championship, who won the national championship. Uh, gives them unique access. They see why dad loves this, and each one of those guys. I'm sure this this is not unique to Caroline. I'm sure, but they're such high character guys. They are good with kids. They're nice or kind they're yes sir no sir i'm like you don't have to say yes sir no sir you won the national championship like right. I'm i want you. your jersey yeah i just want to hug you yeah. and, and they're so nice and kind and it just it gives you a unique access so it's hard for me to rail at the moon and yell like i yell and scream but i'm yelling at the referees or yeah, bad yeah. calls not the guys because i know they want to try and then i'm friends with former coaches and they'll say, you know, no kid ever intends to mess up. They just ground you. I don't know if you've coached, if you coached your kids, right? You and Andy both coach your kids. When you coach, you have a different perspective. A kid messes up, you're like, Joshy, that's okay. Get up, shake it off, shake it off, buddy, shake it off. It's, hey, it's okay. We're in the game. Hey, you go out there, forget that, forget that. You know, go win the next game, and you're always positive. When you're a fan, you're irrational. So, fan short for a fanatic. It is. You know, and, and, and that's what happens. Exactly. So, to answer your question directly, um, this was a tough season for the, for the Tar Heels. It never quite seemed to fit, and I think the expectations are high. Hubert has had two seasons, one of which he beat Duke. He's in the Final Four. He's three points and two minutes away from a national championship. Uh, I think he's got a long time. If you hear the man talk, his passion is true. He's also well-equipped to handle this change. We're at a people – people forget at what point we are. You have NIL. You know, uh, name, image, and likeness deals where kids are making more money than you and I playing a sport. What what did Stetson make last year? Um, the report is a million dollars. Yeah. Around that figure. Yeah. Um, I think the quarterbacks like at Bama and, and Texas are making $5 million, million. $7 yeah, million. It's, it's crazy. Kids are turning down millions. 
you also have the transfer portal where, and I don't, I like and don't like the transfer portal. The transfer portal brought us Brady Manic, that helped literally shoot our way into the Final Four. Um, it also takes away an ability for a kid to persevere through tough times. Right. The, the thing I loved about college basketball when we were going growing up is. The freshmen would make freshman mistakes, the sophomores would show improvement and leaps and bounds of improvement, and then still have a growth or maturation. Now, if you don't play, it, it isn't this way, but it feels like, mommy coach didn't play me, can I go to a different team? Yeah. And they go jump ship. It works both ways, and, and you have to sort of say, man, I hate to, Greg, I hate to lose you. Josh, are you, you tired of playing over at Oklahoma? Come on over. We, could we, could, we need a starting so, guard. Yeah, I hear you. So it works well, both I ways. used to look at these brackets and try to find out, like, the senior-laden teams. These, those are the ones. E- either that or, like, the Carmelo Anthony, like, the dynamic freshman. Um, Dan Manning. I will be the first – I'll be the first to admit that I don't follow college football. Follow college football. I don't follow college basketball that close. But as I look at this bracket, a few teams jump out to me. Uh, I'll give you the chance first. Like, are there teams that you're looking at or have you been able to stomach looking at this bracket? <laughs> well, part of my frustration is, uh, you know, I swore off after Selection Sunday. I swore off the, the finals. But um, Carolina played a lot of good teams throughout the year. Um, they lost some close ones. They four overtimes to Alabama – that is a solid team. Kansas is always a solid team. Indiana's a good team. Purdue's a good team. Gonzaga, Gonzaga, people forget how good Gonzaga's been. I mean, they've they've moved from that Western school that could, you know, mess up and be Cinderella to they're they're not quite blue bud, but they're there every year. Mark Few always has them playing. All those teams are good. UCLA, we beat UCLA uh, in Baylor last year, but they're right there. So there are a lot of schools. You also need to look at the teams that are hot. Look at like the last 10 games. Not, not to plug a former Tar Heel, but Jerry Stackhouse has Vanderbilt playing hot. Penn State's been hot. I hate to say it, those guys over in Durham, eight miles away, are gelling. The problem at the right with time. that with them is they're the five seed, right? So they are prime for the 5-12 upset, which I know that you'll tell you how happy I am for that. Um, I've got I've got Oral Roberts beating Duke again to to play to my guest to make sure that he's happy. Um, Arizona, they just won the Pac-10 championship, right? So so to me, they jumped out as the hot team um, that I have winning winning it all. Uh, the teams that I have circled, you mentioned Andy Goldner. He's a UVA guy. I don't know if you knew that. but Shocking. Um, you know, UVA, I feel like they're either going to lose in the first round or they make a deep run. So I've, I've, I've got my eye on them. Of course, they're in the same bracket as Arizona, which means if I pick Arizona to win, they're going to knock UVA out. You also mentioned Indiana. Brian Karen's a very good buddy of mine. He's a huge Hoosier guy. I watched – the one game I did watch this year was Indiana beating Purdue, who was number one at the time. So I've got Indiana circled because um, for him, because I want him to be happy and they win. Actually, I'll root, I'll root for Indiana. Um, and then I've got TCU circled because TCU, um, they're a six seed. They could be sneaky, and I enjoyed those fans out in Los Angeles with the National Championship game. So those, those are the teams I'm looking at. Um, I've got Arizona beating Kansas. Kansas always seems to be there. I don't see them going back to back, but that's where I've landed. No, and that's a fair pick. I think Jay Billis also picked Arizona. Um, the team I'd probably like to see win it is Gonzaga. I don't really like Drew Timmy. I think he showboats too much. I was glad to see him lose because he too much a me guy. But I like Mark Few. I think he's one of those guys who's paid his dues and has been there consistently. He seems to put out a good product. His pros are doing well. Rudy uh, Hachimura, I think is how you say it. I've seen several of the guys at the Hawks level um, or at the pro level at Hawks games, and he 
puts out a quality product and you know he's doing it hidden up in the great northwest and he's not getting the exposure i mean you never get to see gonzaga play unless they're in those early tournaments playing like the east coast schools but um i'd like to see zone i have a good friend uh he's part of my covid driveway pandemic crew yep big big bear down uh arizona fan uh john parker and then uh if you know beth gearhart uh do you know beth Mm-mm. big arizona fan so uh, I want to stand both of their good graces. Um, I wouldn't be sad if they won. Um, really, I, I hate to say it, but it's it's I'm, I'm down to anybody but Duke season. So Oral Roberts, uh, this is probably cheeky, and I shouldn't say this, but one of my greatest moments happened at Miles when Mercer beat Duke. And everyone knows I like Caroline, but again, I try and hide my crazy, so no one really knows how how passionate I am. Well, that game was on our old office. You remember we had a TV out front, and people were gathered around. And I remember John kind of sitting, kind of, look, Duke's losing. And I started watching, and I was transfixed and focusing. They made a play, and I let out a guttural roar. <laughs> Josh, it was so loud, people came out of their rooms, and John looked at me, like, angry. Like, have you lost your yeah. ever-loving mind? Like, yes, what I've are lost. you doing? Yes, I've lost my mind. And, and I just tuned them all out. I just stayed that way. Well, obviously, Duke won. I still remember that kid doing that dance afterwards. Flash forward the following week, I had a mediation with a guy who was a Mercer lawyer, and I just went up to him and said, this seems awkward, but I need to just give you a bro hug, because this is for this America, is for America. what you did. Yeah, you did it. And that guy, the following week, sent me a Mercer Bears t-shirt, great. and I wore that. So for a while, I would always go acquire the t-shirt of the team that beat Duke. So I've had VCU, Lehigh. Um, or Roberts coming I, I, will, I don't know where Or Roberts is, but we can. I will we, find some. I know find. someone who went there. Okay. I will find out what the student store number is, and I will have a shirt shipped to me. So the two upsets I'm looking at for um, Kennesaw State local local guys. I mean, they're playing. Um, I think Xavier. Yeah. So I would love to see that. And then um, Montana State is a 14 seed. I feel like it's Montana's year. Just the state of Montana. Yellowstone, Dutton's like, I see, I see, I see them uh, being propelled by the country to advance. Well, I'll, I'll share this with you. Speaking of Yellowstone, um, have you watched 1923 and 1883? I've well? not. I've not watched the other ones. You're missing out on some really good stuff. But that's what I watch when I'm on the Peloton. Sometimes I'll mute the the Peloton and just watch the show and kind of pedal faster when there's action and things like that. I'm also pulling for um, uh, like UNC Asheville. So still, sure. still a bit North Carolina guy at heart, and so I'm pulling for them uh, to see. I, I do. I will say this: it, it stinks to not be in it, but it makes you appreciate how hard it is to get there. And, and I feel I'm really thankful that I pulled a wild hair because like, you don't know. Although I got to go to the game last year, my wife was livid because she planned spring break. Mm-hmm. She planned a scuba diving trip. I don't know if you ever scuba dive, but we took courses. We we invested a lot of time, and then for her. On the eve of it, you know, right when we win that game, to say, "Hey, can I go to New Orleans?" I, you know, uh, the superheroes who can shoot lasers out of their eyes and burn stuff. That she kind of did that towards the, me. The logistics of making it on moments' notice of those games is very difficult. We've lived through it. You've lived through it. The wives, as, as great as they are and appreciative as they are, understanding like the lasers come out. The lasers it's, come it's, out. It's tough. But I'm glad I carpe diemed and and did it because it's not we didn't run it back obviously right we're not there again and i can look back on that in fact the guy who took me uh dave hanner stays his birthday and i sent him several of the pictures from that trip i said happy birthday brother yeah uh and and with that you know glad to be in your orbit but i'm just thankful that we have those memories and, and you know um my son's now 17 a junior and his preferred school much to your um 
appreciation is Georgia if he gets in. I don't know if he'll get in, but he's listed Georgia one, Carolina two. I'm okay with that for the price, <laughs> especially my wife a long time Let's ago. Go. She said, you need to get used to black and red or blue and gold for Georgia Tech. You need to get those That's colors good, in yeah. your head. And she's a Georgia State grad. But um, if you're an attorney and a mediator in Atlanta, you can't help but be excited by the Georgia momentum. We have an UGA on our porch, and that's my wife's favorite team. So yeah. her helmet is now in its second year on my mantle as the championship trophy, yeah. hey. and I'm proud for him. So um, it, it's neat when you can capture that and, and that light. Yeah, you're right. There's no guarantee of being run back and enjoy it when they come because the, 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 you're not promised another one. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming down here today. I know you're extremely busy just looking at your you know calendar online. It's booked out for – God, three months, four months, five months. So I appreciate it. You even gifted me an extra 10 minutes than I asked you to do. So you got a mediation at one o'clock. Let's get you over there. But um, again, thanks for coming. Give people your contact information. If they've never used you as a mediator, I'd be shocked. But if they haven't and want to, how do they find you? All that good stuff. Sure. I'm at MilesADR. Uh, my email is gparent, P-A-R-E-N-T, at miles, M-I-L-E-S, ADR.com. Um, you can go to the website, find me, book me. I'll tell you one secret. This is going to be my super secret, but I'm going to give it away. I put a hold on all Fridays, but if you call me and you have a case that needs me, give me a call, and I will open those up for folks. Um, the Fridays are for me if I need them, but I'm also, I also love what I do. I love working, so if you need them, you give me a call on my cell, and we can make it happen. Now, that is worth the price of admission. I'm going to tease this episode by saying you've got to listen all the way through for the last 30 seconds with a nugget that's going to be the most beneficial to you. You can actually get on Greg's calendar <laughs> quicker than you think. And no fast-forwarding through this stuff. Again. No fast-forwarding. No fast-forwarding. No fast you've got to be able to tell Greg a summary of what we talked about at that mediation. Oh, I'm going to quiz everyone. I'm catching Lawrence Kessler. I want 352 yes. downloads. We are, we are, Lawrence is still leading. Push Greg Parent ahead. Right. All right, guys. Thank you all for listening. Go, I'd say go back and listen to old episodes, but that's just more listeners for Greg to have to catch up to. So go, just listen to his episode. Uh, anyway, as always, you can find him at sportstorts.com, all over Apple, Spotify. And uh, as always, thanks, guys. Keep chopping. Keep chopping.